Hello and welcome aboard this island nation, the Maritime Programme. Tom McSweeney here with the programme about Ireland's maritime culture, history, tradition and development. On this edition, you may get angry about this story. In the midst of a medical evacuation from an offshore island, a speedboat attempted to block a lifeboat from landing a patient to be transported to hospital. It happened at Rossmoney Pier near Westport in Clue Bay. Unfortunately, although a side of the Rossmoney pontoon is clearly marked for islander and emergency use only, this is not adhered to. Knowing there would be vessels tied up in the way of the lifeboat, two men from Kleinish Island were called to go out and move any boats in the way. Despite being told of the situation, a speedboat did try to block the pontoon. Outrageous behaviour by that speedboat. A nicer story comes from the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group about the best-known whale in Irish waters. This male whale, Boomerang, is by far the best-known whale in Irish waters and IWDG have recorded him on 50 occasions and in 15 of the past 19 years between West Cork and County Waterford. And his annual return most years to our local waters is the strongest evidence we have as to the importance of our inshore waters for these gentle giants. This island nation is Ireland's maritime radio programme, coming to you from Community Radio Yall, CRY 104FM on the East Cork coastline, bringing together the maritime community. We'll also hear about a shocking fish caught by a Kilmorky trawler. And despite many cancellations of the sport due to COVID-19, how sailing is thriving amongst young people. You can contact the programme by email to thisislandnation at gmail.com. That's thisislandnation at gmail.com and by phone or text to 0872 555 197. That's 0872 555 197. Justin Marr joins me presenting this edition. There was a time not so long ago when in Ireland, an island nation surrounded by the sea, that we saw whales only in films or on newspaper or magazine photographs. Now they're regular visitors in our waters. If you've never seen one in reality, it is an amazing sight that you'll not forget. Porter Cooley is sightings officer with the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group and charts how they were discovered in Irish waters. It doesn't seem that long ago when humpback whale sightings in Irish waters were a rare occurrence. They were something that happened to others and in hard-to-reach places. Then something happened in West Cork in September 1999. We not only got a sighting report of three humpback whales off the Kinsale gas fields, but this rare event was captured on video, and even better still, the analogue film was of such sufficiently high quality that we could freeze that crucial moment when a fluking humpback whale reveals the expanse of its tail fluke, and in so doing, a moment of pure magic was transformed into hard data. Although not quite a seminal moment, it was an important moment for the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group, as it heralded the beginning of the Irish Humpback Whale Photo ID catalogue. It grew slowly at first. In fact, during the first decade, there were years when it never grew at all, as humpback whale sightings remained worryingly rare. Year on year, sightings of humpback whales were outnumbered by fin whales by a ratio of about 10 to 1. 
I recall Dr. Ema Rogan of UCC asking me if I'd compile any sightings we had on the Irish humpback whale distribution for Irish waters, and her saying she was in no real hurry for this, and that any time in the coming weeks would be fine. My reply was that I could give her the information over the phone, as what we knew about humpbacks at the time we could have written on the back of a postage stamp. By the close of the 2010s, there were just 12 individuals on the Irish humpback whale catalogue. Ireland was still a quiet backwater on the international humpback whale circuit, with our only international match from 2007 to the Netherlands of our number seven, which, although of great interest to us, hardly set the world's scientific literature alight. Then, during the second decade, there was a change. Humpback whale sightings became more numerous, and West Cork, it seemed, no longer had a monopoly on the big-winged New Englander, as they were known by the early whalers. As individuals started showing up as far east as Hookhead and Curraclough in County Wexford, but there was always a sense that these were just outliers. The real range expansion was further west off the Schleyhead Peninsula, County Kerry. During the second half of the decade, it seemed fairly evenly split between West Cork and West Kerry hotspots. That was until 2015, when something changed somewhere in the North Atlantic. And in this year alone, we doubled the numbers of animals on the catalogue from 33 to 66, with most of these showing up in West Kerry and almost all of them being new animals, never previously documented in Irish waters. The international research community started paying more attention to what was happening in the Irish Southwest. As always, our numbers were still relatively low compared to the major league players like Iceland and Norway, but we were producing a year-on-year increase in sightings and the discovery curve was and remains on the upward trajectory. The significance of what IWDG was recording was not so much the increase in numbers, but that they were coming from a new area where previously few humpbacks had been recorded. We started off 2020 with 97 individually recognisable humpbacks and it was always likely to be a big year for the catalogue, even with COVID. This came to pass when on July the 20th, Nick Massett ventured out on his rib in search of humpbacks and among a group of three animals, he found an outer dingle bay, two were new to us, as neither their tail flukes nor dorsal fins matched any of the 99 individuals and so we were delighted to add numbers 100 and 101 to this resource. This week, whale watch skipper Colin Barnes sent us an image he secured on Thursday the 28th, which extended the catalogue further to 102 animals. It's an important milestone and gives us a little space to reflect on just how far we've come with this long-term monitoring project. By the end of the 1990s, we had just two humpbacks documented. This was 13 by 2010, but to have reached 100 and counting by 2020, although not quite exponential, it is remarkable and surely reflects on the global recovery of this most iconic whale species. Also this week on the humpback front, we received our third Irish match to the Cape Verde breeding ground, as photographs of a whale taken off Boa Vista Island on February the 25th, 2020 confirmed this individual to be our number 73, whom we last photographed off the Blasket Islands, County Kerry, on June the 25th, 2019. And finally, still on the subject of humpbacks, we have, it seems, yet another good news story, as a whale watch trip with Cork Whale Watch at Areen Pier near Union Hall on Tuesday the 28th produced a mixed group of fin, humpback and minke whales. Yes, three whale species on one trip. And from the humpback images taken by skipper Colin Barnes and sent to IWDG, we can confirm that one was Boomerang, number three in the Irish catalogue. This male 
whale was first documented by Colin back in August 2001, and IWDG have recorded him on 50 occasions since, and in 15 of the past 19 years between West Cork and County Waterford. He is by far the best-known whale in Irish waters, and his annual return most years to our local waters is the strongest evidence we have as to the importance of our inshore waters for these gentle giants. More whales, more recitings, more international matches to high-latitude feeding areas and at last more matches to tropical breeding grounds. It's a great story and one IWDG look forward to sharing with you over the next 20 years. It seems humpback whales have an endless capacity to inspire both whale watchers and whale researchers alike and IWDG are only too happy to share these stories with you. This is Pori Cooley, IWDG Sightings Officer, signing off for this island nation. Nature on the Sea how whales came to our waters and brought international attention to Ireland. A fish that is very unusual in our waters and can give people quite a shock has also come to Ireland. It's the marbled electric ray, caught by James Tate's Kilmore Key trawler Tilly while beam fishing at a depth of 120 metres in the Celtic Sea. Common in Mediterranean and European waters, it's the first time one of these fish has been caught so far west. Declan Quickly, the Sea Fisheries Protection Agency Senior Port Officer in Hoth, County Dublin, who has experience in aquaculture and fisheries research and has published 375 papers about his work, told Tom about this fish. There are two species of electric ray that have been recorded from northwest European waters. One is the common electric ray and one is the marbled electric ray. The Marbled electric ray is a smaller species. It only grows to about six, six kilos, whereas the Irish rod and line record for the common electric ray is 40 kilos. It was caught off Ackle by Shea Boylan back in 2002. The marbled electric ray is a more southern species. Its uh, northern limit really is around the English Channel and it's much more common in the Mediterranean and off north-west Africa, whereas the common electric ray is a more northern species and it's found up as far as Norway. There are a number of kind of vagrant records of marbled electric rays in the North Sea up as far as Denmark in the Katagash and westwards to the Shetlands in north of Scotland. But so far, the species has not been recorded in Irish waters. Uh, but the fact that it has been recorded so far north uh, in, towards the Baltic suggests that uh, it should occur in Irish waters as well. And this latest specimen that was captured off the south coast of Ireland uh, was just 50 kilometres uh, outside of the Irish territorial waters. That one was caught by the trawler out of Kilmore Quay, the Tilly, uh, at a, when she was beam trawling at a depth of 120 metres. So that particularly interests you, Declan? Uh, it does because it represents uh, the most westerly record of this species in the northwest Atlantic. Uh, and because it's so close to Ireland, uh, I suspect that this species probably occurs in Irish waters as well, and particularly off the south coast. Now, the 
fish being called a marbled electric ray, I, I, I gather that it can give a shock if it's not handled carefully. Yes, uh, it can deliver a potentially fatal electric shock of up to 200 volts. Uh, so people need to be aware of its potential, that they're dealing with a potentially dangerous fish here. Um, most fishermen would be familiar with the common electric way, uh, and it would be released alive because it has no commercial value in Northwest European waters. Uh, so they really need to be handled with the utmost care. So anybody that would have any underlying medical issues or particularly heart issues would need to be very, very careful. So you're looking for information, Declan, if people do spot them or if they happen to, to catch them? Well, the current specimen that was captured by the Tilly, um, James Tate was on board and retrieved it. Uh, it has been uh, donated to the Natural History Museum in Dublin. Uh, so what I'm really looking for now is the first Irish record of this species. And I, I would uh, ask fishermen to keep an eye out for it. They may confuse the marbled electric way with the common electric way, but on closer examination, they're easy enough to distinguish. Although I imagine that most fishermen are not uh, hanging about or leaving electric rays lying on board vessels, they will be quickly returned to the sea. So they may not get the opportunity uh, to spot the difference. Declan Quigley of the Sea Fisheries Protection Authority, who would like to hear of any more reported catches of the marbled electric ray, which you can give to him on 087 Six four five eight four eight five. That's oh eight seven six four five eight four eight five. Or on email to Declan Quigley at aircom dot net. That's Declan Quigley at aircom dot net. In our last programme, we heard the Chief Executive of Water Safety Ireland, John Leach, suggest that inflatable water toys should be banned because they can be so dangerous, being so easily carried by tides or blown by wind offshore. The RNLI, the lifeboat service, is also concerned about them. Kevin Rahel is the RNLI's water safety manager and explains first exactly what these dangerous inflatables are. Yes, so uh, when we're talking about uh, the inflatables that we believe are, are, are generally a risk to the public and shouldn't be used in open waters, we're talking about the um, uh, the kind of inflatable that you, you like, like inflatable mattresses, uh, inflatable toys, uh, so the, the lower end of uh, of inflatable uh, uh, toys like that. Really, it it doesn't include things like. Uh, uh, rigid inflatable boats. It doesn't include uh, proper inflatable dinghies, such as the type that might be used by uh, uh, by people on uh, on larger yachts and water cruises to get in and out of that from moorings. So it's very much the uh, the kind of the smaller inflatables that people can buy in sort of pretty much any shop and uh, just take them in the water. They're really toys and they're for uh, confined spaces, pools and things like that, but not for the open water. And because they're light like that, they're particularly susceptible to the influence of tide and wind and waves and quite clearly 
can be easily blown out away from beaches. They are indeed. I mean, any, any, any proper craft, including some of the, the, the bigger inflatables, the, 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 the inflatable boats, uh, proper boats, they're de- designed in such a way that they're, they're lower in the water, uh, they're bigger, they're heavier, and they don't have the same kind of windage. But certainly, these inflatables we're talking about, they sit very much on top of the water, uh, there's no keel, uh, and they do get blown uh, very, very quickly offshore, uh, or they can be taken uh, uh, taken way, way out by tide and uh, and current, yes. These are the kind of things, and Kevin, aren't they, if I were to describe it in the public mind, as if you were carrying one of these down to the water and the wind caught it, it would quickly blow it away from your hands. It would indeed, yes. Yeah, that's exactly the kind of thing we're talking about, yeah. Yeah, so the infl- small inflatable mattresses, the little inflatable canoes, uh, you know, toy, toy dinghies, that kind of thing. Uh, that, that, that's, that, that's very much what we're talking about, yes. There have been several incidents in the past couple of months where young people, particularly children, have been very lucky because somebody came across them or the RNLI rescued them. Why is the public, do you think, not taking sufficient notice of the warnings? Uh, I'm not sure, really. I think I think it's probably down to just a, a lack of awareness of the of, of the risk, uh, you know. But 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 they, they do have a risk, and we've been saying that. Coast Guard have been saying it. Border Safety Ireland have been saying it. So, you know, we would like people to uh, to, to pay attention to uh, to, to the advice uh, because you know they're they're just not designed for open water and uh, our spaces like that. I suppose the obvious question to ask or to Aquarius, why isn't there a warning on these items when they're being sold that they can be dangerous uh, in open water? I, I don't know the answer to that. That's probably something for uh, for trading standards in terms of the information that's given on something like that. But uh, there's, there's plenty of warning from from the likes of ourselves and Coast Guard and uh, and others in terms of the dangers of using them. So the message really is: take notes of what's being said and be careful. I suppose I suppose one of the points being made that if they are being used at the foreshore as people will do, they should be tied onto something so they can't blow away. They really should, but even even at that, I mean, you know, the, the the foreshore, particularly any kind of open water, uh, it it is potentially dangerous, and we would just prefer that people didn't use them in that kind of situation. Uh, but I suppose you know if 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 they are being used, then uh, you know, yes, you know, tying on would, would give some some extra degree of safety, but but they're still inherently uh, dangerous in open water. Kevin Rahel, Water Safety Manager at the RNLI, the Lifeboat Service, and the dangers of inflatable toy boats. The message is, don't use them on open waters at beaches. The pandemic has caused many postponements of major sailing events this summer, amongst them the National Youth Sailing Championships, a major event for young sailors. But despite the problems and that postponement, the sport is gaining a lot of interest and support amongst young people, as the chief executive of the National Sailing Organisation, Harry Herman, has been telling Tom, first explaining the decision to cancel those National Youth Championships. You know, it's always one of the pinnacle events for for the young sailors during the year, and um, it was a decision that we felt we we had to take in the current circumstances, mainly due to the sheer numbers that are usually involved in in, in the event. There are multiple fleets, um, you know, 200 sailors plus uh, with all their parents on the shore, and really we just felt trying to manage those kind of numbers within the current circumstances and restrictions uh, just just wasn't going to be possible this year so unfortunately yeah we had to make the call to to cancel it and 
uh, give people plenty of notice so that really what the idea would be now is uh, to try and encourage the youngsters to focus on their own class national championships as uh, the event that they want to be aiming for. So, um, you know, in, in, in some ways it's it's hopefully a, a positive that the classes hopefully will benefit to, uh, to some degree in terms of numbers at their championships, uh, but obviously a disappointment that the youth nationals has cancelled. Taking that aspect of it being positive, Harry, I'm told by clubs around the country that they are experiencing a considerable level of interest in youth training and maybe because sailing has actually been ahead or a bit more available than other sports at this time. Yeah, I mean, this this summer is uh, ironically actually being very, very good for sailing, uh, particularly in the young, uh, you know, youngsters training um, we were one of the first sports uh, allowed to open up because of the uh, perception that it's relatively risk-free, it's open air, it's outdoors, um, it's organised and well managed. Um, and the result is that there's a huge demand uh, for the summer training courses. Um, our clubs and training centres are all reporting that they're operating to capacity at the moment, which is really, really good news Um you know, the, the, the challenge for them is to, to try and uh, increase that, uh, the numbers where they can. You know, obviously they, they, they have to work within the restrictions, which means they can't take as many numbers as they usually are. Uh, but the result is that they're extending the season so they can continue to uh, run the training programs right throughout the summer. Um, and, yeah, certainly there's a, there's a huge uptake in, in uh, demand for the courses. Good for the sport because youth is always extremely important. And the quarterly report of sailing does show, just out, Harry, that despite the difficulties and obviously the very many cancellations which had to concur with because of the COVID, sailing is pretty strong, it would seem. Yeah, certainly at the moment, uh, there's plenty of activity on the water. Um, you know, we, we, we can go ahead this year with the Junior All-Ireland Championships, which is good. Uh, we've got the Inclusion Blitz in Loch Derg later in the summer, uh, which is the this year's uh, version of the Inclusion Games. So that's good news. Uh, and I think the focus very much this summer, um, you know, when, when sailing came back, was to uh, highlight the, the, the fun aspect of sailing and, and bringing the fun element back to sailing, which, uh, you know, I think for some time in the past, so people had forgotten it's all about the racing and the winning and the, uh, you know, the getting around the course. And people forgot, I think, uh, to a degree that, you know, sailing is fun. It's a, it's a, it's a great sport. It's uh, active. It's healthy. Uh, it gives you a great sense of responsibility and, it, you know, has huge benefits, particularly for youngsters, um, and there are plenty of initiatives that are still taking place. I mean, the ICRA under 25 program, for example, uh, you know, they've invested 10,000 euro into developing a really strong under 25s keelboat program, uh, which is going from success to success. And uh, all, all the keelboat clubs now are engaging with that program, which is fantastic news. Um, our own team racing program really is, is, also going from strength to strength within the clubs uh, as all the clubs are looking now to see, uh, you know, we can bring the youth into the sport. Our challenge, as with every other sport, is to hold on to them when they go through teenage and, and come out of college. Um, so that's really the focus area for uh, our sailing strategy going forward and the clubs are really responding well to that.
Now a story of what life is really like on the offshore islands when a family has a medical emergency. In her regular report about island life, Rhoda Twombly, Secretary of Kogal Ilona Heron, the Islands Federation, who lives on Inish Lair Island in Clue Bay, tells her personal experience of what happened there. And you may well feel angry about how inconsiderate leisure boat users try to prevent an RNLI lifeboat carrying out a medical evacuation from landing a patient for transfer to hospital. It's always frightening to see a loved one in pain and needing medical attention. For islanders, the stretch of water between themselves and help magnifies the fear and feeling of helplessness. This was the case last week when one of the three residents of our little island, Inishlyer, developed severe back pain and couldn't walk. Following the protocol for out-of-hours medical assistance, Westock was called, and once they understood that we were on an offshore island, they organized the Ackle lifeboat to attend. Islanders and coastal communities understand the importance of the service provided voluntarily by the RNLI crews. They are the lifeline to medical assistance. The crew of the Ackle lifeboat, in full PPE, handled the transfer of the patient remarkably gently and swiftly and departed for Ross Money Pier in the bright sunshine of the day. Unfortunately, although a side of the Ross Money pontoon is clearly marked for islander and emergency use only, this is not adhered to. Knowing there would be vessels tied up in the way of the lifeboat, two men from Kleinish Island were called to go out and move any boats in the way. They then had to wait there to prevent anyone else tying up to the restricted area. Despite being told of the situation, a speedboat did try to block the pontoon. Thankfully, this story has a happy ending, with the patient returning home some hours later after being diagnosed with a slipped disc, treated with a strong painkiller and given orders to rest over the coming weeks. Ackle RNLI and Mayo Ambulance Services have our undying gratitude. Rescue services, including the helicopter service, of course, up and down our coast deserve the gratitude, support and respect that the majority of citizens give. Attention needs to be paid to both the infrastructure and bylaws where they exist of piers, pontoons, slipways and harbors. This can be difficult as the ownership of these structures may be by one or more public body. An inventory of access structures needs to be done, including recording of necessary repairs and maintenance requirements. There is public advertising on safety on the water. The behavior of boat and jet ski users is difficult to police, particularly in areas where there are no harbor masters. The few irresponsible boat users can ruin the enjoyment of all and create very dangerous situations. Only last week, Two jet skis sped through the yachts moored at Rasmane and around all the pontoon area where young people were swimming, narrowly avoiding running them over. These incidents have been reported up and down the coast. Islanders and coastal communities, as well as county councils and national government agencies, all need to do their part to see to it that the rescue services are supported both in their finances and staffing, be it volunteers or employed. Piers, pontoons and slips must be kept fit for purpose and, where possible, bylaws enforced to promote greater safety. The power of volunteerism and mehel cannot be underestimated. Whatever someone's skill set is, there is a place in these organizations to lend a hand. 
So for now, it's Slán from the islands with a great dollop of appreciation to the Ackle Lifeboat and Mayo Ambulance Service from Inishlayer. Rhoda Twombly reporting about the offshore islands and how thoughtless and inconsiderate some leisure boat users can be. That brings us to the end of this edition of the maritime programme This Island Nation, broadcast on community radio stations around Ireland, in Dublin on Near FM, Dublin City FM, Liffey Sound and Dublin South, on Dundalk FM, Athlone Community Radio, in Galway on Connemara Community Radio and Kinvara FM, Radio Corkaboshkeen in Clare, Kilkenny City Radio, West Limerick 102 FM, in Mayo on Community Radio Castle Bar and Eris FM Belmullet, Cork City Radio, West Cork FM and Community Radio Bear Island on Apple Podcasts and podcasts on Mixcloud, Soundcloud, Spotify and themarinetimes.ie Wherever you've been listening, thank you for being part of the Maritime Community on Community Radio. The programme email address is thisislandnation at gmail.com That's thisislandnation at gmail.com Phone or text 0872-555-197 That's 0872-555-197 We'll have a few changes to our programme coming up to increase maritime reportage. Until our next programme from Justin Marr and from me, Tom McSweeney, the usual wish of fair sailing. (laughs) 